Well, for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a passage in Mark chapter 8, and I want to take this morning, and I want to finish off the last of the four points, and I think it's so fitting because today is Christmas Day, which I know you're all well aware of that fact, and uh, we've come here this morning to do just what the Magi came to do, what the shepherds went to do, and that's to worship our King, the one who has been born King of the Jews. We looked a couple weeks ago, and um, we saw how Jesus Christ is the Christ, He is the anointed of God. We saw how Jesus is the Christ filled with the Spirit of God. And we as little Christ are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to be led by the Spirit, we're to be displaying the fruits of the Spirit, and we're to be exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then we saw, I think two weeks ago, how Jesus is the Christ, the prophet of God. We're to be listening to every word that He says. As a prophet, He taught us. As a prophet, He foretold the future. And we remembered how Jerusalem for the last 1,976 years has been lying in ruins in Jerusalem as testimony to the fact that Jesus' prophecies were kept. We saw how He has also returned to judge us. And last week, we saw how Jesus is the Christ, the High Priest of God, and we must come to Him to have our sin dealt with. And this morning, we're looking at Jesus is the Christ, the King of Kings. And the question for all of us we must face today is how are we going to respond to one who is the King? Well, take your Bibles and look at Mark chapter 8. We'll read verses 27 to 29, and then we'll spend uh, the last little bit of our time back in Matthew chapter 2. But Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 29, it says this, that Jesus went out along with His disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, He questioned His disciples, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? And they told Him, saying, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others one of the prophets. And He continued by questioning them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to Him, You are the Christ. And that's our text. So I'll give you the outline very briefly. I made sure to keep this shorter than usual, but we're going to ask and answer four questions. Okay, so number one is this. Where did Jesus' kingship come from? We've been watching the little mini-series, The Crown, about how Queen Elizabeth took over the throne from her king, her father, when he died. Well, where did Jesus' kingship come from? Question number two is this. How does the Bible describe Jesus as king? Thirdly, How does Jesus exercise His kingship? And fourthly, very briefly, how must we respond to Jesus as the King of Kings? Well, first of all, where did Jesus' kingship come from? The Bible tells us that His kingship is both a gift from His Father and an appointment from His Father. Now, that's something that I didn't know and didn't realize from Scripture until just briefly. I'd seen lots of verses that kind of indicate that, but never put the the dots together. But what it is, is His kingship is actually a gift and an appointment from His Father. And we can see that gift in these descriptions. This morning, I'm going to read, not read, but refer to lots and lots and lots of verses. If anybody wants to come back and take them and have a look up later for yourself to check out, make sure I'm not stretching the Scripture. You're welcome to do that. But these are all the verses. I'm just going to refer to them and we'll move along. The Bible says in John chapter 5 and verse 22, that He, being the Father, has given all judgment to the Son. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 42, the Bible says that God has appointed Him judge of the living and the dead. Judgment 
is not just a, a faction or a function of his priestly or prophetic ministry, it's also a function of his kingly ministry. The Bible says that he'll come back on that day, he'll set up a throne in the plains of Megiddo, and he'll sit himself on the throne, and all the nations of the world will gather before him, and he will judge them as both prophet and king. In Hebrews 3, verse 28, or verses 2 through 8, sorry, the Bible says that God appointed him as a son over his house. Jesus was given and appointed to his kingship by his father. And now in order for Jesus to become king, both human and divine, a whole bunch of things had to happen, and God gave and did a whole bunch of things so that Jesus could be both a human king and divine king. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 and verse 5 that God prepared for him a body in order that he might be both fully man and fully God and be a fully human king as well as a fully divine king. In Luke 4 verse 1 and John 3 verse 34, God anointed him with his Holy Spirit as a mark displaying his qualification to be king. Now just as the Archbishop of Canterbury takes on that day... We watched this thing, The Crown, right? And, and uh, one of the episodes shows how Elizabeth is being crowned king. And I didn't realize that very much similar to the Old Testament Hebrews, when she is crowned king, they take special oil and... What's that? Queen. Oh, sorry. She was actually crowned queen. Her father was the king, but she's the queen. It's, it's only a handful of us. This is okay. She was crowned queen. What they do on that day is they take a little bit of oil much like the Old Testament Hebrew kings, and they anoint her head, and anoint her breast, and they anoint, I think it's her hands too. And it's a very special ceremony, and all the, the, the clergy of the Anglican church kind of gather around her, and it's all shielded from view, so no one sees. And it's a very special thing. And they take the order of kings as a divine right, very seriously. Well, Jesus, in just the same way, He is anointed as a king, just like the Old Testament kings were, with the Holy Spirit. Not the oil, with the Spirit of God. In Mark 1, verse 11, the Bible says that God declared Jesus His beloved Son, and therefore He is the heir. As God's Son and heir, He is the King. He is the one who's going to be king. In Hebrews 1, verse 8, Jesus has a scepter of righteousness, which speaks of authority. I've been studying a little bit about uh, pastoral ministry and shepherds in the Bible and how the shepherd's staff and his crook are two things. And the staff was actually not a great big long thing. It's actually a short thing, like a cudgel. And when a king in Europe today holds the mace, that short, blunt kind of stick thing with a ball on the end of it, that's picturesque of the Old Testament prophet, no, sorry, shepherd and his mace, his staff. So Jesus has a scepter of righteousness and it speaks of his authority. Now we know the Bible teaches us in Mark 2 that Jesus has authority to forgive sin. In John 5 verse 27, Jesus has authority to judge his enemies. In Colossians 1.18, what does Jesus have? He has authority to rule and reign as head over his body, which is the church. Jesus is the King. The Bible further says in Psalm 8, verse 5, that God has crowned Him with glory and honor. In Psalm 2, verse 8, God has given Him the nations as an inheritance. In Ephesians 4, verse 11, God has given Him ministers and servants. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, you know what God gave Him? Ambassadors. That's us. 
We are ambassadors for our king living in a foreign country, a foreign soil if you like, and we are going and preaching the gospel, the good news about our king from our home country. We're ambassadors. The Bible also says that God has given him a name which is above every name, and that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Again, that's a picturesque language, not just of his saviorhood, but also of his kingship. He's Lord. So where did Jesus' kingship come from? It's a gift and appointment from his Father. And in the day to come, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24, that Jesus is going to give back that kingdom to his Father. When all the work of the king is done, when every enemy has been subdued and put away, Jesus will return the kingdom to his Father. So the question like Jesus asked the disciples on the road this morning for us is this, who do you believe that Jesus is? 1 John 5 verse 1, like I've been telling you, says, if we believe that He is the Christ, the Bible says we're born of God. So the question becomes, who do you say and who do you believe that Jesus is? He is the Christ. He is the anointed King of Kings. So how does the Bible describe Jesus as King? We were watching that, that same miniseries, I keep referring to it, but they had all this one scene where all these guys were standing in their royal finery. No, it wasn't the miniseries, it was the, the Queen's 90th uh, birthday, and there was all these home movies that they were playing that Charles had found somewhere in the basement of Buckingham Palace, I guess, and he put them all on. There were all these silent movies, they had all these footage of... Uh, different events throughout the Queen's life. And there's one scene where it was some big jubilee and all these people there, and they're all in these gold and silver and braids and whatnot, and they're all dukes and earls and marquises and marquesses and all the rest of that stuff. And they all had titles given to them. The king has three or four different titles he's given. But the Bible gives us all the titles of Jesus. It says in Psalm 24 that He is the King of glory. The Lord, mighty in battle. That means Jesus is the Christ. He is a divine King. He is a King who is God. In Matthew 2, verse 2, He is born King of the Jews. That means He is a racial King or a human King. He has human ancestry and human ethnicity, much like we do. The Bible says in Daniel 4, verse 37, that He is the King of heaven. That means He is a spiritual King in a spiritual realm. In John 1, verse 49, he's the king of Israel. He's a national king. He is a king like the king and queen of England are over England, the United Kingdom, and all that empire. So Jesus is also a king over a nation. But in light of that, he's also described in Revelation 22, verse 6, as the root of David. So he's David's ancestor. And then in Matthew 1, verse 1, he's the son of David. So he's David's descendant. That's the cool thing. The Bible also describes him as, uh, in Micah 5, verse 2, as the ruler of Israel. In Revelation 5, verse 5, what is he? He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And you know what the Bible says? He's also the lamb who has overcome. He's conquered sin and death and the grave as a king. The Bible says he is a national king. But the cool thing is, his realm is not limited to one nation because Revelation 5, 15.13 says he's the king of all the nations in plural. He is a king with an unlimited scope of people. He has a realm like all kings, but his realm is drawn from every tribe and tongue and people and all the ages. 
The Bible describes Jesus as the King of Righteousness, which means that Jesus is the Christ, a moral King. As a King, He is righteous. Everything that He does is right. He reigns in righteousness, He rules in righteousness, and He also labors as part of His reign to make others righteous. That's what He's done with us. We gather here to remember God, remember the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fact that we can do that without an altar and blood and goats and bulls and fire and smoke, it's all because of the fact that He has made us righteous. The same verse, Hebrews 7 verse 2, describes Jesus as the King of peace. He is the Christ, the reconciling King. He has established peace where there once was enmity and war between us and God. And we hated God and God was angry with us. He has now made peace between us. The question again, who do you say? Just like the disciples were asked, who do you say that Jesus is? He is the Christ, the anointed of God. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, how did Jesus exercise His kingship? Different kings throughout the history of England have had reputations for being a bad king and a poor king and a good king. And and some of them were known to be half insane. Some of them were crazy with all kinds of different things. How did Jesus exercise His kingship? The Bible describes in Matthew 2 how He is born King of the Jews. In Luke 2, Jesus' birth was announced like all kings, but not with a thundering roar of cannons, but with the entire heavenly host declaring His glory. Can you imagine what it must have been to stand on the hillside with all those little woolies running around or maybe sleeping on the ground, and the heavens are split open, and all the hosts of heaven are arrayed out before them, and they begin to say, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, goodwill towards men. The King is born far better than all the 21 gun salutes any nation can offer up. The Bible describes him as living as a king. Not like a king like in a castle, in a a throne like that. He lived as a poor, humble, servant king. And Jesus never openly called himself king, but he often spoke and taught and announced his kingdom was at hand. In Mark 1, 14-15, what's his opening message say? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's he mean? The king is here. That's what he was saying. The king is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's about to begin. He announced his kingdom and described it with parables. He described the kingdom like a pearl of great price that's hidden, like leaven which is hidden in the dough, like treasure hidden in a field. And then in Matthew 27, Jesus endured his kingship being mocked. First, they brutally carved open his back with a scourge. They arrayed him with a gorgeous purple robe, the Bible describes. They wove a crown of thorns and impressed it down on his head. I think I've told you before, the word for crown in the Greek does not mean a ring. It actually means like a cap. So it would have been thorns all over his head that were pushed down into his scalp. And he would have bled profusely from his scalp and his head. They put a flimsy reed in his hand as opposed to a king who held a mace, a strong, heavy, hard, blunt object to to beat the sheep into line. They gave him a flimsy reed to say, this is your kingdom. This is the strength of your kingdom. It's a flimsy, weak thing. And they put a sign around his neck displaying that this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And they spiked him to a cross. But... The Bible declares in Matthew 28 and Mark 16 and Luke 24 and John 21 that Jesus demonstrated the triumph of His kingship by rising from the dead. Listen, 
Jesus was born king. He was tried and condemned as a king. He was crucified as a king. He was raised as a king, but there's more. Jesus has ascended and high as a king. He's now enthroned at his father's right hand. He's ruling and reigning over his spiritual kingdom. And the Bible says that Jesus will return in power and great glory to rule and reign from the throne of his earthly father, David. He is the king. Jesus asked the disciples in Mark chapter 8, verse 27, 28, Who do men say that I am? And one said, You're Elijah. They say that you're Elijah. Greatest of the Old Testament prophets. A mere man he was, running in fear from one woman. They say, You're one of the prophets. One of the Old Testament prophets. And the Bible describes how they died and they were killed and they were buried and their tombs remain to this day. Somebody else said, Oh, they say you're John the Baptist risen from the dead. Well, he was a great man of God. He was the greatest of the prophets, but he was beheaded by a madman because of the spite of a ruthless, vindictive woman. He was buried, and his tomb remains to this day. The world around us on this day, what do they say about Jesus? He's a tiny baby in a manger, speechless, harmless, defenseless, no threat, no insult, no offense. That's the, world, the way the world likes to think about Jesus. But what about us? Who do we say that Jesus is? Who do we say? Who do we believe about Jesus? And I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for you. So I'm asking you the question. I want you to answer for yourself. For to me, He is the Christ. To me, He is the anointed of God, filled without measure by the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. To me, He is the anointed prophet of God, speaking the words of God, revealing and expounding the Father to us, teaching us and foretelling the future to us, and coming again to judge the world. To me... He is my anointed high priest. He laid down His life for me. He entered the behind the veil. He made atonement for me. He offered His blood for me. He returned to His Father's right hand and He ever lives to make intercession for me. A great thing to know that Jesus prays for us day by day. To me, He is the good shepherd who gave His life for me, a revolting sinner who repeatedly repels. To me, He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. To me, He is the all-satisfying Savior. He is the anointed King of kings. He was born King. He was crucified King. He was raised King. And He rules and reigns as King. And like Jesus turning around the disciples in the Greek, like I told you before, is very emphatic. He says, but you... Who do you say that I am? Believing these things means that we must respond in some way, shape, or form. It must drive our behavior. To make no response and no reconnection, no reaction to Christ is to make the reaction of rejection. To how we, when we hear all these things about Jesus, we must respond to them. In Matthew 2, where Daryl read for us before, we've got a great illustration of what our response should be. And I want to just point out a couple things. We're almost finished. In verse number 1, he says that the Magi came from the east and they were searching for Jesus. They came seeking Him. The Bible promises us that if we seek for Jesus with all our hearts, we will find Him. If we seek for Him diligently, in Hebrews 11 verse 1, we will see Him as He is. Sorry, it doesn't say that. It says, He will reward us. Sorry. The, the Magi came searching for Jesus, and what were they rewarded with? 
an audience with the King? Are we seeking out and searching for Jesus? Are we striving in all our lives to know Jesus more and more and deeper and deeper? In 2 verse 10 it says, They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy that they had found Him. Listen, joy is not in the presence you get. And joy is not in when people make you feel good about yourself. True and lasting joy doesn't come from that. True and lasting joy comes only through Jesus Christ who cleansed our consciences from all guilt. You want to know what joy is? Joy is when you know that your sin is forgiven, that your guilt has been taken away, and that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and a home in heaven. Our joy is in Jesus Christ who forgave our sin. They rejoice because they found Him. And finding Jesus gives us the greatest joy. But notice what else they did. In 2 and verse 11, the Bible says, they fell to the ground before Him. Literally, they prostrated themselves. So they came into the house... I don't know what the scene would have looked like. We often mistake in our little nativity scenes, we put shepherds on one side and some sheep and a couple of cows and so on. And then we put three wise men on the other side with little boxes in front of them all opened up. It wasn't like that. This is sometime later. They're in a house. They're, they're probably back in, or in Bethlehem somewhere, anywhere in a house. And as they came in, they would have seen Jesus. Maybe He was sitting with Mary, His mother. Maybe she was holding Him. Who knows what the scene looked like. But the Bible says they fell down before Him. They laid themselves down the ground before Jesus. They prostrated themselves. It means that they submitted themselves to Him in entirety. They paid obedience and honor to Jesus. He is the King. He is our Lord. He is very God of very God. We must humble ourselves before Him. We must submit ourselves to Him. And what does the Bible also say? In verse 11, they presented their gifts to Him. They gave of their gifts and treasures to glorify Him. What's our goal? What's our, our modus, modus of operandi? What they call it? Mode of operations? It's to glorify God in everything we do. So what did they did? They brought their most priceless treasures and gifts and they laid them at His feet to glorify Him in some way. They laid gold at His feet to celebrate the fact that He is the King of kings. They laid frankincense at His feet to celebrate and highlight the fact of His priestly ministry. The fact that He would be one day anointed, not like Aaron, in a different way, anointed with the frankincense, that beautiful fragrant incense. And they laid myrrh at His feet to remind Him Maybe to remind Mary too that one day he would be laid in a tomb because of the work he would do. We must give all that we have to glorify him. Our gifts, our talents, our time, our money, and our love for him. The Magi came to worship him. They gave him at great cost to express their love and adoration for their, their newfound king. Were they saved? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say very much more about them other than they came, they saw Him, they worshipped Him, and they went back to their own country. And that's all we ever hear about them. Very little is actually known about them. But I know something for us. We can come and we can see who Jesus is. We can see Him born, the King of the Jews. And we can worship Him and love Him and honor Him and strive with all of our lives to glorify Him. We come this morning to worship and remember Him. And Richard Hebner made a comment a few weeks ago about our remembrance of the Lord. Often we focus very much on the Lord's death and we remember that. But it isn't just the Lord's death that we come to remember. We come to remember Jesus in every aspect of His person and His work. 
not only as a Savior on a cross, not only as a prophet who spoke and taught the people, not only as a king who rules and reigns, but we can also come and remember him as a tiny baby. The, the, the incredible picture of God become flesh, that little tiny baby in a manger. We can come to remember Him as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Who do you say? In your heart, who is Jesus? We say He is the Christ. We say He's the Lamb. We use all kinds of terminology. When the lights go out at nighttime and you're alone laying in your bed and the thoughts of your heart begin to replay themselves back in your mind, who do you say? Who do you believe that Jesus is? He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. He is the King of kings. And He is the Lord of lords. We come this morning not just to sing songs and, and hear a message, but we also come to remember Him in the taking of the bread and the taking of the wine. So take your Bibles and flip over to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read this and then uh, maybe Rick can ask you to give thanks for the bread in a few minutes. And they'll ask Dad if you can give thanks for the wine in a, in a few minutes as well. So Luke chapter 22, reading from verse number 14, it says this, When the hour had come, He reclined at the table and the apostles with Him. And He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me was, is with me on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. We want to focus on his verses uh, 19 and 20. He said, took some bread and gave thanks, and he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The beginning of all that was Jesus coming and being born as a man, a baby in a major, born as king, that he might go to a cross and die, that we might come back here and sit down around this table, having fellowship, not just with one another, but fellowship with God because of what Jesus has done, because he has been born king of the Jews and crucified and died as a king on a cross.